Hi, I'm Dr. Barbara Becker Holstein, positive psychologist, author, <clears throat> even playwright, and of course, filmmaker. And I'm back here tonight to talk to you, really to you, because tonight is a different kind of show. You can see that I don't have any active guests sitting around me. I do have one person who I'll introduce in a minute who's going to uh, ask me certain very pertinent questions and share with the show. Tonight, I am taking you on a personal journey of enchantment. My goal is to help you understand many of the techniques that are necessary and valuable to have what I call your enchanted self, which means you become more and more capable of positive states of being. In other words, things like happiness, joy, feeling good, and that <clears throat> you also begin to recognize more and more your own talents, your own strengths, and your own potential, whether your potential is staring you in the face or it is hidden potential that others may have tried to put down and hinder you over the years or you yourself has have dismissed. Well, the time is now to retrieve all the positive parts of yourself. And I am going to begin to help you. And you are also going to begin to better understand how I, as a psychologist, first a teacher, school psychologist, psychologist, how did I ever move from those roles into roles like being a filmmaker? This may take more than one show, don't worry, but I hope we'll all hang in. And so to help me further explore the enchanted self, a positive therapy, I have invited a very dear friend of mine, Don McCauley, who is a colleague over the years. We've done four or five different projects together, and uh, he spends a lot of his time interviewing authors. So I figured, well, that's good. I think he can interview me. So welcome, Don. Hi, Barbara. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm very good. I've heard you've had a little bit of in and out with your internet, so we'll do our best. And um, okay. you have known me over 10 years. Uh, not that we've met in person, but that's the wonder the wonder of the virtual world. Um, do you have a first question or thought you might want to ask me? Well, I was just just really curious to hear. I, I would really like to get an overview of everything that you're doing. I mean, you talk about, you know, a lot about the magic of our own minds. But I don't think a lot of people, even myself, really see or feel that magic. What can you say about that? Yeah. Well, I can gather, I can sympathize. There are many, many days where, you know, life is routine and even unpleasant and hopefully not horrible, but certainly doesn't feel magical. So let me start with a little fairy tale that'll just put us a little bit in a softer place, and then I'll come back to directly try to answer. All right. So once there was a princess who started out on the raft of life. 
Her goal was the enchanted forest with all it had to offer. She took with her a canteen of provisions, full of hopes and dreams, minimal emotional provisions, and outdated maps. Soon the raft swayed. At times she was almost swept overboard by the currents. Finally she arrived at what she thought was the enchanted forest, only to discover that it was no longer enchanted. Later on, after many disappointments, she met a fairy godmother who explained that the princess could find enchantment if only she would look in the right places. The princess begged to know where to look. The fairy godmother handed her a mirror and said, Look within yourself for all that you will need. Then she gave her a fishing pole. Be courageous enough to recapture your strengths, talents, and untapped potential. Then she gave her a key. This key is your own memory bank. There you, you will find all the powers you need once you strip away the negative reactions and comments others have made. And lastly, she gave her a new map. It had paths to self-esteem, self-worth, necessary education, pleasure, and other skills she would want or need. The map will never go out of date as it is your map of your uniqueness. And then, of course, like all fairy godmothers, she faded away into the clouds. But it didn't matter because the princess lived happily ever after. <laughs> so how does that how does that lead us into or how did that lead you, yeah. I guess, or, or those yes, kinds of ideas is. lead you into the enchanted yes. self concept? Okay. Uh, I I will continue and try to make it quite earthbound and understandable. The Enchanted Self developed out of a research project that I designed. I was in private practice seeing men, women, and kids, but I became particularly fascinated with women. One reason was there wasn't a lot of research on girls growing up, uh, really good case study research, uh, more so on, on men at that time. Now, I'm sure the research is, there is more research now, but anyway, I wanted to know more about women. I wanted to know what the messages they received in childhood were like, what they did to them, how they were affected by positive messages in the family, negative messages, secret messages. In other words, um, the family may never have stated that the girl wasn't going to go to college, but she knew in her heart since she was six that it would be her brother who would go to college, that kind of thing. Or secret messages that she better marry young because looks fade. They're just all sorts of things that people pick up in their families. So in order to do this research, um, I had to figure it out because I certainly wasn't going to question my clients. They were there for their own reasons to see me. And it was actually my husband. I'm going to give him his one plug for tonight. 
since um, he's not here with me, Dr. Russell Holstein, also a psychologist. We have worked together many years. He suggested that I just go out and find ladies, find women of different ages, give them all the same questions, uh, and see what you get. And that's what I did. That's how the story started. I went out and I interviewed many, many women between the ages of early 30s and late 80s, and particularly was interested in their negative uh, messages that they had received in childhood. And boy, they all had received, to some extent, downers growing up, either put-downs or criticisms or lack of opportunity for education. It's not an easy picture for many, many women. So in order to not have my whole interview kind of a downer interview, I had thrown in a question, well, tell me, when do you feel most whole? When are you most thrilled with life? When are you happiest? When do you feel joy? And I, I didn't know what I'd get. I did find that I had to prod these women. They'd sort of look at me and like, I don't know. You know, and I have to keep asking, well, like, when you felt really special, you felt like you were floating on air one day. What were you doing? What was it all about? And if I kept pursuing and pursuing and pursuing, everyone came up with something great. Either the, the woman felt great when she worked in her garden, or she loved to babysit her grandchildren, or she was great at raising a certain breed of dog. Um, or she had become a professional and she was very proud of her work. Um, she enjoyed uh, other, all of them had something that, that really, really sparked for them. One of them enjoyed a special sport, a sport that was kind of difficult, that she never thought she could do as a child because her mother and father had restricted uh, her from doing anything scary where she might fall or hurt herself. And she was now doing a martial art, and she was very proud of herself. So I began to realize that we have underestimated the, the positive uh, moods and capacities of each other and our, you know, ourselves, others, we just underestimate them because it gets so covered over by the um, either an in, a lack of confidence to share what really makes us happy because of societal issues uh, or feeling put down, or we're just too encumbered by other parts, facets of our lives. So that was the beginning of um, the, the research was done. And as I went over the research, I began to have in my head, actually almost it was like floating on a cloud, this concept I kept hearing, like hearing in my head, the enchanted self, the enchanted self. And I knew that that was what I was going to call my material because these women hadn't expected to share this happy wonderful place of their lives with me. I hadn't expected to find it. And clinicians certainly have been missing it. And I'll talk a little bit about that. And I began to feel my purpose at that point in my life 
was to make the enchanted self available for everybody. Um, and that's what I did. So I'm, um, I think what might interest you is how and why that even tied into the treatment room. Um, okay, would it be okay if I sort of swing into that, Don? Yeah, I'm just I'm just wondering, you know, I'm a little bit familiar with positive psychology yes. and I'm just wondering how all of this ties into positive psychology in the real world working with patients. Yeah. Yeah. So in the real world working with patients, let's think about the typical setting of going to a psychologist or social worker. You're not going to have tea with that person. You're not going out to have beer in the tavern. You've got a problem or you wouldn't be there. You know it, he or she knows it. So what often happens is the patient presents a problem and the therapist is so interested and so bright and so well-trained, he or she just runs in and not only begins to hypothetically diagnose the problem a little bit, but ask questions, ask memory questions into the background, and before you know it, they both are dissecting and evaluating and looking at the problem. So it's it's there. It's the elephant in the room for sure. And by the time the person leaves, oftentimes the person feels worse about him or herself than when she came in or he came in. Now, over time, a good clinician, it will balance out the clinician. Clinician is in support of the person, and that's for sure, encouraging. But I felt that one of the things clinicians should be doing is in the very first interview, you also are finding out the person's talents, strengths, and their hidden potential. And if you do that as a good clinician, not only will the person feel leave uplifted, rather than just discouraged because the problem analyzed is even bigger than when they just hid it in their pocketbook and came in. Um, but you'll both be on the road to ways to help this person invest in better skills of living, maybe more education, more things that can happen so that that person will be living a rich, more enriched life that will have enchanted self aspects to it because it will be uh, it will be filled with positive states of being. Does that make some sense? You know, because you know my my I don't know impression of going to, uh, to therapy is we're going to identify a problem and then we're going to spend the rest of the yeah. time talking about my problem. So you know what you're saying is that you're kind of steering a little bit away from that and and talking more about whatever strengths or talents this yeah. person might have. So is that is that actually addressing their problems? Is it solving their problems? Or, um, or? Yeah, no, I I should be very clear that I do as much work on a person's problems as any good psychologist or social worker or counselor. Um, but by constantly being aware of the other side, the hidden talents, the untapped potential, it's like a stream of of happiness and a boost that can come in and out of 
just the way the person is going to begin to feel about himself or herself. For example, I remember working with a woman who had a difficult life, a divorce, a handicapped child, many issues. Um, But because of the way I interviewed, I knew that she had a garden, and it was just a little garden. She lived in a garden apartment. She didn't own it or anything, rental, uh, just a little space. She was allowed to have some flowers. And one day, because I got back to the subject, you know, I'd keep looking, how's the garden going, you know, that kind of thing. She started to talk about how there were certain kids that came and asked her if they could just plant a flower. They had never planted anything. And, you know, could they stop by? And then there were, she'd bring out an extra bridge chair. A couple people would sit, you know, by her. It became almost a mini community of hope and social exchange. And it helped her in her recovery. And I don't think she would have recovered as fast or had this golden nugget to take with her if I hadn't done the type of positive psychology interviewing that, um, you know, I'm talking about. Well, I'm kind of curious about the concept of memory. I mean, you know, as as a person, like everybody else, I have memories. Some of them are failures. Not all of them are, right. are memories about failure. But as a result of all these memories, I build up a concept of the self. And it's very hard to shed that concept that I have of myself, which is comprised of those memories. Do you work at all in that area? Yes. Well, there's two. memories are very complicated. There is the um, business of helping a person um, get some relief from negative memories. And then there's also teaching clients as part of positive psychology how to recognize the positive parts of memories. So first I'm going to talk about what I do as a positive psychologist with the positive parts. So let's say... um, the person has some uh, mixed memories about family life, for sure, they're mixed. And um, it's hard, you know, there are some unpleasant things that they will, those will have to be attended to by the psychologist. It's more complicated than what I'm going to undertake in this particular type of interview, because sometimes people need a a cognitive therapy, sometimes they need um, some reduction of their anxiety, sometimes they, you know, it, it really depends. But the positive parts can be pulled out almost, uh, you know, any time that it's appropriate. So if a person has um, talked about certain things that weren't so good, but then they mention the summer they got to spend with their grandparents and how helpful that was and what it was like and got to, uh, there were chickens, they got to, the person got to go and look for the eggs in the morning, she or he got to help make the scrambled eggs, she or he was watching a baby cow that was growing, a calf. Um, the grandparents were sharing old photographs. And that particular summer became a beacon of uh, positive memories. And what 
is important to teach someone is that those memories are just as valuable, probably more valuable than the negative memories because they were real, they really happened, the person did well through them, and it's often in those memories that a lot of their talents were really showing up. Now, one of the great things about memory is we don't have to have that clear a picture of the memory to necessarily know it was a good time and that we enjoyed it. Um, certainly things happen even, uh, you know, I remember being with my grandparents on and off for years, my mother's parents. I don't remember everything I did, but I do remember sitting on my grandmother's lap and she would sing God Bless America. Well, every time I hear God Bless America, you better bring out the tissues because I, it's all wrapped up in a sense of love for the country and for my grandmother. And the other thing I remember is my grandparents taking me on the trolley into Boston to go to the swan boats. And the swan boats were one of those beautiful, beautiful things that, you know, maybe cost almost nothing, a dollar or two for a 10-minute ride. And you were in this small lake that was going inside the beautiful Boston Commons. And you were on this beautiful flat boat, as I remember it, with benches, and the front and the back were shaped to be like a swan. And it was, you know, such a simple pleasure that I remember so many years later. And when, you know, what people don't realize is there's a lot of positive energy in our own histories. So you can take that energy and start to analyze what your strengths, what you need, what really refreshes you. Because actually, I'm going to deviate a little bit even from some of the uh, notes I made because this is real important. The enchanted self concept means that you keep recognizing what you need to do in your life, what gives you pleasure, what... Um, what your own talents are, what your potential is. And you keep trying things, you know. So as you find things that really work for you, you're going to want to repeat them. So here's an example. You might go to uh, a soccer, no, not soccer, let me think. I guess it could be a soccer game. Hockey, ice hockey. You might go with your husband for, to um, an ice hockey game and you have a great time because you get along, no fighting, you enjoy each other, and it does become an enchanted moment. But it's not really the enchanted self because you may not want to repeat it. You know, okay. But let's say you go to um, an opera and... The same thing happens to your husband. He enjoyed the evening, but he doesn't want to repeat it. But you love it. You absolutely are mesmerized every time you go to the opera. So this may become part of your enchanted self. It's a state of being that you know you can get to. All you have to do is hear that music and sit in that audience, and you're, 
you're mesmerized. You're back in the 16th century or, you know, you've got a flower in your mouth like Carmen or whatever. And if your husband doesn't want to go, he doesn't go, you go. And here we have, you know, how issues come up in marriage and who does what and who gets their needs met. And it goes on and on. It's never fully solved. But you begin to see what your enchanted self is all about. Um, And even beyond that, there's something called the Song of the Soul. And the Song of the Soul means that not only do you enjoy something like the opera or baseball games, um, whatever it is that you're going to make sure you repeat again and again, but you begin to see what your purpose in life is. And as you begin to find your purpose in life, then it's um, it is like a song of the soul because we can only do a certain number of purposes in any lifetime. You know, we can't just do, um, we can't do things. We can't be everything, even if we have talents for them. As I've said, time and tide wait for no, no man, woman, or child. We can only do so much. So maybe we sing three or four songs of our soul in our lifetime, and we're really lucky if we can get there. And all of this, um, I think, Dawn, uh, did that kind of explain a little bit how these things get merged? Help me. Yes, I'm just wondering, uh, is there, how do you get started going down this path? Okay. So, all right, I'm going to give an example. Um, I'm actually going to give an activity as we draw to a close for you and the audience to try. And this is exactly how you get started. Um, so, I think that... Um, let me do the activity right now, since you brought it up, because it'll give you a sense of what I encourage clinicians to give to their patients, um, and what I hope actually the cl- clinician will actually do for him or herself, because don't forget, the clinician is just a human being also, and um they get tired and they get burned out and um, they hear a lot of bad news, you know, and they have to be replenished also. So all the things that I teach in the Enchanted Self book, The Enchanted Self of Positive Therapy, which is available on Amazon, um, I suggest that everybody do, not just uh, the patient. Okay, so I'm going to give you a modified version of one of the exercises. And um, just relax. If you want to take some notes, fine, but I think you're going to remember the gist of this. So we're going to go on a journey of rediscovery of yourself and some of the positive parts of yourself. So... Think about what were some of the golden moments in your childhood when you felt particularly happy. These moments can be from any age. They could be your earliest memories, or they can go into early adulthood. When you find a golden memory, enjoy it. Try to see yourself at that age and experiment with letting in different senses, like 
connecting to that happy time? How did you feel that day? Were you awake? Were you sleepy? Uh, What activity were you engaged in? Were there any smells? Was there any food that was great that day? What was the weather like? What, how did things look around you? What was your mood? Did people talk to you that day? What were they saying? Try to really remember it. Like I can remember my fourth grade birthday party after the lights went out and I cried hysterically on the couch because I thought I wasn't going to have a party. And then the lights went back on and the kids came and... I felt as much ecstasy as a four-year-old can feel. And the gift that I got that gave me the most ecstasy wouldn't be allowed in this country today. It was a scissors that you plugged into the wall and um, cut things. Would be considered very dangerous, but I loved it. Okay, so you have your memory and... um, I suggest you do this more than once, that you scan. Now, once you have a memory, the real important part of it is also to start to think about what were your talents or your strengths or your potential that was going on with this memory. For me, I would say that I was capable of great joy. You know, even though I was miserable at times as a child, I was capable of great joy. And I was socially pretty good. You know, first I'd been crying hysterically, and now I was totally appropriate socializing with my little four-year-old friends. So these are not maybe big deals, but they're some of my talents and strengths that showed up. So that is... um, it, it can be a lot of fun. It can be really, really moving to see some potential that was there when you were six, and you may even want to retrieve it. So that's just a beginning of part of one exercise. What do you think, Don? I think that was great. I, I won't tell you what my memory was, <laughs> but it was really great. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. So um, what I plan to do in, um, in this series, which has been, uh, we're kind of calling uh, at this point, visionary work. Um, I'm talking about myself right now and my work, which went from this enchanted self of positive therapy to so many other layers that I never imagined I would even be back in touch with myself. Consider, uh, and I would take one, I'd say one of the songs of the soul for me has been the play I wrote, the films I've made, and it's amazing. I, I, I think I am validating that the work I've done I haven't just taught others. You know, I've deeply incorporated it as mechanisms that are useful. And that sometimes late at night, I go and look, put up something that I've created on the web or something that, that, um, okay, that I, that reinforces me if I had a bad day, if someone said something mean to me or I was disappointed. Um, I'm not, 
like foolproof. I fall off my horse. But if I can reassure myself with some of my talents and potential, it's very helpful. I don't feel I'm selfish or narcissistic. I think we have to do this for ourselves. We have to document ourselves in one way or another and value ourselves. So um, I wrote a little poem at the end of the book. I wrote several poems in the book, but this one struck me to share now. Um, Come to me, innocent that I was. I'll join you and together we'll melt into the new dawn of me. Come, my friend, my nurturer, my shadow, my knowledge of how whole I can be. Don? I think that's great. Yes, I think that's great. I think that we really need to really concentrate more on some of the things that you're presenting here. I really do. Yeah, I think it is important that uh, mental health care, a shift in the treatment room to help clients see the more positive aspects of themselves, that's critical. A shift for the therapist not to forget to bring forward the positive aspects of not only the person he's treating or she's treating, but of herself or himself. The self-help we can all give each other and ourselves and the better we understand, the reason I say magic, now going back to magic, the better we understand the complexity and magic capacities of our minds, and that we can be cheered up by a smell, we can be cheered up by one nice word from somebody, we can be cheered up and given courage to finish a semester in college because of one a phone call from a grandparent or something. Uh, a grandparent we didn't even know we liked that much, but suddenly the right moment, the right second, I just feel strong again. If we can understand and give some leniency to our mental health and the way it our minds work, then we can recover and reinvent such special parts of ourselves. I guess... That's about it for tonight. Um, I hope I'll be back with many times. I was just talking to Ming, who helps me with these shows, and he travels the country, and I think Ming is going to have access to some wonderful visionary guests also for me. Right? Yeah. Yes. So any last questions or thoughts, Don? None for me. No, I think you've covered it very well. <laughs> And I should mention that the, my main website is EnchantedSelf.com. And I accept emails, you know, uh, Barbara.Holstein at gmail.com. I'm pretty available. And um, I see you again next time and see you on the telephone whenever we talk again. Don, thank you for helping me. Thank you. Good night.